Hello and welcome to this edition of the EV Revolution Show audio podcast. With your host, Kenneth Bacor. This is episode 32, recorded on December the 3rd, 2021. This episode of the EV Revolution Show is sponsored by File Sanctuary. Need a great web host for your business? Need to get email at yourdomain.com? They provide professional, feature-rich web and email hosting for any project you have in mind. Get started today at filesanctuary.net forward slash cloud and save 10% with promo code EVREVSHOW. All right, and thanks for tuning in to this edition of the EV Revolution Show audio podcast. As you heard, my name is Kenneth Bocor, your host, where I try to bring uh, people from different elements of the EV market space on the show to talk to them about their areas of expertise. And I have another very interesting guest today that I'm welcome to introduce, uh, a gentleman by the name of Mr. Scott Chase. He's co-founder and CEO of Recurrent Automotive. How are you, Scott? Hey, I'm good. Nice to be here. Thanks. Well, thanks very much for taking the time to be on my show and for the reach out. Uh, you're based in a lovely waterlogged Seattle, I guess, right now, right? <laughs> we just set all of our records for uh, for most rain in uh, in the in the fall, I, and it was not as bad as um, uh, Vancouver and um, Vancouver Island NBC, as well, which yeah, was really um, got hit even harder than the I than know. we did. Our thoughts are out to everybody that's uh, that's having to deal with any of these kind of climate change, uh, potential climate change situations where we're getting these weather events. But Seattle is a lovely town. I've been there many times. Beautiful area, the Northwest. Now, Scott, you're, um, as I mentioned, uh, CEO and co-founder of Recurrent Automotive. Now, you've got a background uh, in the energy efficiency software in that uh, area. You've got, been with a software company before. You've uh, done a lot of entrepreneur stuff in that realm as well. Uh, you've got a BA from Williams College and an MBA from MIT, only MIT Sloan School of Management. Huh, well, you know, what's that, right? So certainly, as my listeners know, I try to get accredited people on this show that, that, that know something, and you certainly do. Um, so my understanding about recurrent and why I thought this was a great topic today to talk about was, you know, you guys are, are involved in a lot of data regarding the EV market space. And maybe you could tell me a little bit more about recurrent as a company. What do you guys do? What are you guys about? Yeah, sure. So, um, thanks for asking and for the, for the intro, um, really the way to, I like to think about our company is like, what are the problems we're trying to solve? And, Mm -hmm. um, there's three groups of distinct people and distinct problems that we're trying to help. Um, one is, and the main one is the the used electric vehicle shopper. Um, mm-hmm. We've seen that they're showing up to buy used cars, asking different questions than they always used to for combustion engine cars. Um, and, you know, like no, no surprise, like that there's one huge component that's different. And uh, in the, um, in EVs and that's the battery, uh, you know, this overwhelming cost driver. And, you know, the, these vehicles are really pretty simple from a drivetrain perspective, except for the fact that there's like a 10 to $20,000 battery in it <laughs> that, you know, the health of which is really, really super important. And it is literally a black box. So that's like kind of thing one is like help the shopper answer their questions that they're asking about how the batteries are. Mm-hmm. Um, thing two is for the, uh, for uh, car dealers that are beginning to sell and get into used EVs. Um, we're sort of doing the same thing, but for them, it's, it's less about, um, 
Well, actually, the funny thing is they don't know what they're getting either. So when they're buying cars at wholesale or uh, they're they're buying cars on trade, um, they uh, have the same black box problems. They want to know what's go- like, what, what am I getting? But then the, the separate part of them is to be able to turn around and explain it to their customers. And so same product, just like kind of different sides of the of the of the of the coin. And then the last piece, and I think it's really interesting for the folks on your show, um, is uh, we have a free product for current EV owners that uh, the idea is um, you uh, share your data with us. And that when I say data, I mean, like, it's just, it's five pieces of data, three times a day through your manufacturer connected services account, like not super sensitive data. It's like your uh, three times a day, your odometer reading, your uh, vehicle's state of charge, your range estimate, whether it's plugged in or not, whether it's charging or not. And we're mm-hmm. like all anonymized and literally have been very, very careful to um, on privacy. Uh, and in exchange, you get back a monthly report on the health of your battery, your car, and how it compares to all the other comparable ones out there. And so at this point, we have almost 7,000 people that are signed up and doing sharing data in exchange for that report. And, um, and people like really love it. Um, it's, I, I think it's a, it's a, for a lot of people, it's a wellness check for their car. You know, you don't take an EV in to get the oil changed and, you know, get feedback twice a year from a mechanic. And so this is a little bit of a, um, of a replacement for that in, in a sense. It's like, Hey, you know, I want to, I want to know that somebody's watching my car and making sure that like things are okay, you know, and, it, and it's, and it's sort of behaving as it should um, w- without having like that, that sort of moment where the mechanic sort of says, well, I'll change the oil, change the filters. And, you know, you're good to go see you back here in six months, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, for the owners, it's just that that's um, kind of a nice piece of feedback for them. And it's a free offering for us. That's, and we're very open about this. That's like our data collection. So then, so that when, then we can go and score cars that are for sale uh, when they're used um, by using all that data and aggregating it up to the make and model level, and then sort of using it to score cars when, when we see them on dealer lots. Interesting. Yeah. It's, it's a great con- uh, idea and a great execution of that idea. You know, obviously, um, uh, experienced EV listeners will know that odometers matter less for electric cars than they do in internal combustion vehicles, right? That's because there's less wearable parts. So, and electric motors for the most part are tanks. I mean, these things are built to go a million miles or more. They're, they're pretty rock solid. So other than your basic disc brakes, you know, your brakes and your suspension type of wear, you know, even steering is usually by wire now and it's pretty, pretty, it's electronic. So there's not a whole heck of a lot that's going to go wrong other than, you know, cosmetic stuff, body and things, fittings. So um, having, you know, the battery is the heart and soul of an EV. So as you said, being able to um, uh, get a, a daily or get some sort of view, uh, be it, you know, mid to high level of view of how things are tracking on, on your battery as an owner or, as you mentioned, if you're shopping for a used EV, that's really the important part that you ask about. Um, and I find, uh, you uh, um, let's start with the used car marketplace, um, because that's just starting to grow. Like we're, we're only starting to see in the last couple of years, actual inventory of EVs coming into the market, right? Most of the time, I mean, they've only been out for what, 10, 10 years or so, 12 years. So there's only some inventory starting to come in. I know in the UK, it's extremely hot. So I'm, I've been out there and I have a lot of EV YouTube uh, friends out there that uh, some of them work in that business uh, selling used EVs and they just can't get enough inventory uh, chip shortage and all that stuff, you know, doesn't impact them because they're trying to buy used stuff. So when a consumer is shopping for used EV, the information that you're being able to supply to that dealer is critical, giving them uh, 
the state of charge, the state of health, more of the battery. What other sorts of data points that, that you provide that are relevant for that consumer? Well, where we start with, and this is at, at point of sale. So, mm-hmm. so now like put yourself in the shoes of, of someone going out to, you know, want to buy a used Nissan Leaf or a yep. used Chevy Bolt or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, first thing I'll say is like in generally speaking, you know, manufactured uh, defects aside, right. You know, in the case of all the bolt batteries that have, yes. that are getting recalled, um, the, uh, batteries in EVs are holding up better than people, people's mental model is right. So mm-hmm. here's what, here's what everyone comes into this, this, uh, market thinking is I've had an iPhone, you know, probably several iPhones uh, over the years and the battery wears down over time. And I know that because I can't make it through the whole day without charging. And then I get a new one, right. Uh, or maybe get the battery refurbished. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a mental model. And that, but like, that's actually reasonable. Like they're both lithium ion batteries, but there's lots of differences, right? Um, but that's not a, not a crazy sort of um, way to go into this thinking about. Um, but that said, like EV batteries don't wear down like iPhone batteries do, right? So, um, so generally speaking, like, I think as a used EV buyer, you should not be afraid of like, oh, this is going to like, you know, wear out in two years or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. but every lithium ion battery like does uh, degrade in its capability of storing electrons and also degrade in in its ability to um, push electrons in and out at a fast rate. Uh, And those roughly happen at the same time. So what that means is over time, a car will be able to, uh, will lose some range, the max Mm -hmm. range, and will also lose its ability to um, uh, charge fast and discharge fast. Um, now, um, you could have two cars that are, you know, three, four, five, you know, seven, eight years old, mm-hmm. and um, with the same odometer number on them, um, same make, model, year, everything. But you could have one of them could have, um, you know, twenty miles less max range than the other one. Mm-hmm. We, I've seen that all, all, we've seen that in many, many cases. Yes. Um, both those cars are still fine. You know, like a 200 mile max range versus a 220 mile max range. Like those are both awesome cars, right? Um, but you shouldn't pay as much for the 200 mile one as you should for the 220. Cause it's just, it, it's, it's a, has a higher utility for you and it's going to hold up for a longer period of time. So that's, I think like that, 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 that what's the range of, you know, that you can expect in ideal conditions is like the really the center of gravity of what we're t- trying to help people um, understand more so than the, frankly, the technical state of health or, you know, electron, you know, electrons in out, you know, right. rate charge flows, mm-hmm. everything like that. We're trying to make it simple. And it's like, well, what, what's it worth to you? Well, it's like worth how far it goes. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'd start. But then the second thing is then um, that, max range is going to be really different for you in um, different um, weather conditions. And so uh, we then take it and say for, um, for this car, like we might say this, this car, like, uh, so, you know, Tesla model three, 2018, um, it, same car, if you buy it and you operate it in like Florida and you know, like in a warm environment in the United States versus you take that exact same vehicle and you own it and in Montreal, Mm-hmm. Um, you will have a different outcome, right? And so, like, we try and uh, personalize it to the weather conditions that are that that you're going to operate it in, because that's really what's what's the the impact for you. And so, um, and that there's a lot of data science behind doing that, but um, 
to be able to take one vehicle and the data from that and then be able to essentially sort of model it out for your weather conditions and then model it out for your weather conditions uh, and what it will be like two, three years down the road, which is sort of how people are thinking about it. So that's that's really like the, the value of what we're trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a great way to explain it because that is the differentiator of EVs versus internal combustion versus what we're used to is that, again, it doesn't matter if it's 100,000 miles on each car. Really, you know, the battery is the key element there. Um, so knowing, you know, the, the state of health or more so, as you said, knowing the range capability within the region that that vehicle's in. Now, do you collect regional data as part of your downloads? You get an indication of whether I'm based just outside Toronto. So whether my model three is a cold, you know, experiencing yeah. cold climates or not. Yeah. So we, um, uh, when, when an EV owner signs up with us to, mm -hmm. to sort of, you know, join the monthly subscription thing, we ask for your home, uh, postal code. Okay. And, mm -hmm. uh, that we just make an assumption at that point, um, that your car mostly operates in that area and is mm -hmm. being exposed to the, to the highest lows and everything in between in that area. Uh, we do not capture, um, exact coordinates of your car, basically, because mm -hmm. it, it doesn't matter that much, you know, from a weather perspective. And, uh, and it's also a little bit creepy, you know, so we were like, we explicitly yeah. made the decision, we're not going to go and, and, and track that, like, that just opens a whole privacy can of worms. So we thought it's not necessary. Right. Now, how you back up your, so you get all this data in and what you guys have done, well, my understanding is that you've developed, um, uh, you're, 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 and you're currently developing your one of the largest cross-manufacturer EV battery knowledge bases that that I'm aware of, um, and uh, you know, through creation of your own advanced analytics as well. So you're able to kind of really slice and dice this information a lot more than just simply, you know, you're at 60%, so you're doing okay, or you're at 80 or whatever. Right. Can you speak a little bit more about, about a little, not giving away your secret sauce, but a little bit more yeah. about that aspect? Yeah, I mean, we're seeing now vehicles. We have across forty-five different makes and models, mm -hmm. and um, uh, right now we only operate in the United States. I know a lot of your listeners in Canada, so mm -hmm. we'll be there soon. But okay. um, I was going to ask that. Have, things, yeah. yeah, yeah, no, that's. I yeah. figured that was coming. Yeah. Um, but we have uh, we we have vehicles in every state of the U.S. So we're seeing people. Uh, uh, we're seeing vehicles operate in in a lot of different temperature, you know, environments, and I think you know yeah. many that are, which are applicable to yeah. um, Arizona to, to Wisconsin. You got them all covered, right? <laughs> yes, that's right, and Alaska too. So yeah, you know, Alaska, so yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's that's really important from a um, for our you know. Um, we get all that data in, you know, at this mm -hmm. point, 10 million plus data points. And, uh, and it just, we're essentially using it to train a series of predictive algorithms that says, okay, like we've seen enough of this particular make model year. It's actually doesn't line up exactly like that. It lines up with battery, um, configurations, uh, pack okay. configurations, mm -hmm. which can span model years and yes. <laughs> often span model years. Some cases, in some cases, like, uh, with, um, some of the older Tesla Model S's, they not only did not spend model years, they were swapped out during the, a single model year. So you need to know whether the car was built at the beginning of the model year or the end of the model year. Mm, uh, okay. You know, so anyway, it's battery configurations are mm -hmm. the, the families. But, um, and then we're essentially taking all that data and saying, okay, well, developing a predictive algorithm that says, well, given, uh, given a particular car of this make model year odometer um, uh, reading and uh, and essentially location, sort of like where has it been? Um, what's the you know what's the um, what's the likely sort of um, 
um, health of this car. And then we're mm-hmm. sort of using then, uh, you know, one data point from the, from a vehicle on, on a used car lot to supplement that and sort of detect for outliers. Um, but it's, it's, um, that, that data set, because it's cross manufacturer and because it's sort of like cross all these geographies, we can sort of use uh, a machine learning approach that allows the, you know, our, our predictive algorithm to um, find differences that are not necessarily like, you know, obvious, like we can use all the vehicles in Phoenix, you know, that we've seen so far to predict the health of a brand new vehicle on a car we've never seen before that, that starts its life in Phoenix, you know, like, you know, because it's because there are similarities in the driving conditions and the temperature and the, you know, typical ranges and typical, even typical charging styles. Um, uh, So I think that that's, that's sort of the secret sauce is just like, it requires a lot of data to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and and we've sort of created this, you know, um, you know, free offering that, that, that gives us a lot of data, frankly, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's not easy to get people to sort of get over the barrier of, oh, you know, I don't, I don't know that I want to share this. I don't want to like, it can't be invasive. Like, but you know, what we've tried to do is just be really upfront with what we're doing with it and what we're not doing with it. And, and, um, and, and again, offering something that like EV owners are actually really into. Um, So um, that's, that's been the approach so far. Yeah, and the advantages are, you know, not only, as you mentioned, for the used market space, um, obviously having clients like dealers be able to um, uh, sell a used vehicle, having that knowledge set with them to be able to almost like the Carfax for EVs kind of thing, you know, uh, yeah. at, the, at a more granular level. But as an EV owner, so myself having a 2020 Model 3, I mean, I plan on driving that thing to the ground. Yeah, so I would love to know how it's tracking. How yeah, how it's where's overall, the ground basically? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Has it, you know, is it going to get me? I mean, Tesla's well known for their survivability and in mm-hmm. long term um, uh, use cases, but it's still an early industry. So having some data yeah. like this to be able to substantiate and quantify it, I think, is great. So you do yeah. take charging habits into those parameters as well. Uh, do you collect some of that data? So if somebody, as an example, is rapid charging a lot versus home charging, you know, 90% of the time, 95% of the time? Um, yeah, we, we, um, we have to use proxies for some of this stuff. Okay. Like, you mm-hmm. know, so in this, in that case, what we're looking at is basically like, we're, we're calling your clearing the car, uh, the car mm-hmm. a couple of times a day. So that can vary, but we're, yeah. we, we get smart about when we're doing it. So if we see, you know, a charging of, if we see that the car is, is, is plugged in and charging, you know, on one of our, uh, three times a, a day calls, what mm-hmm. we may do is like call again, you know, 10 minutes later to see how much the st- state of charge increased, you know, for okay. example. And then that's, that can, we can sort of figure out, oh, is that, is that a, a DC fast charge event or is that a level two or level one charging event? Um, oh, cool. That's, it's not perfect and it's mm-hmm. not sort of, um, uh, but it's, it's really hard to get the perfect set of data for this, yeah. right? So that there are, there are, are um, sort of tricks like that, that, that give us some sense of, you know, being able to say, well, again, same make model year odometer number car. Uh, if we think one has been fast charged more than the other, that may be, um, then we can then look at, okay, well, how much of an impact did that have? It has some impact, but like as an EV owner, I mean, you know, this, like it's fine to fast charge your car every once in a while. Like mm-hmm. it's not going to do a big deal, but if you are, um, feeding your car a steady diet of only DC fast charging, that is going to cause it to be the the battery to break down uh, faster than if you're not. 
and each um, vendor is going to uh, the amount the time that it breaks down is going to be different for each man it'll be different yeah and yeah. so we're sort of so getting that yeah. that 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 viewpoint um, some handle it better than others so in case in point like the older you know nissan leafs obviously um yeah. and and that architecture that the leaf I, I had a leaf so i had a 2018 for the first couple of years and i got my tesla last year mm-hmm. um, i loved the leaf it was great uh, just i needed something with more range um, yeah. and the ability to charge quicker because i'm in sales i need to get around and yeah. i wanted to use this as my primary yeah. vehicle but yeah, yeah that would be something that i wouldn't rapid charge all the time yeah. knowing the characteristics that it's a it's a it's a it's a um not even an air cool it's just it's just uh, i forget what they called it but the cooling is just thermally, right? It just right. kind of um, it, it not evaporates, but it just it dissipates over time. So the chances for a, a little bit higher um, amount of degradation quicker is a little bit more prominent in that that leaf technology versus you know uh, others that are out there with very higher levels of uh, liquid cool technologies and thermal management that are much more accurate in keeping those batteries at a nice temperature that my wife always likes like 20 degrees c or something like that um are you able to uh as part of the the metrics um capture information on the batteries themselves as far as are these catl cells or packs are these panasonic are these do you can you break it can you get a sense of those those back-end manufacturers as well um well, and the so, materials like a, yeah so yeah NMC well, or something like that yeah 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 no um that that generally speaking that doesn't uh vary from you know from vehicle to vehicle within a make model year right oh, okay. and so and so that that's published information that if mm-hmm. you you know like who made the pack yeah what how many um cells you know what's the pack module uh and cell you know sort of breakdown mm-hmm. what the chemistry is you know, and so that that is something um, that that we we only take into account, right? Mm-hmm. But less about less on a predictive basis and more on a like drawing interesting comparables. So like, you know, LG Chem makes batteries for you know m- many 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 different makes, right? Yes. And so uh, so there, you know, we can go and say, well, this particular chemistry made by LG Chem, like if we see it in one car, that's like a hint we can use to sort of predict what might happen to another car that's newer, that's being made by the same manufacturer and have the same chemistry. Um, You know, it's going to be like the, the result of any, like the outcome for any individual car over time is it's like a combination of nature and nurture, like the nature, Mm -hmm. well, who made the battery? you know, what, how's the layout, how's the cooling, all that stuff. And then the nurture is then like, how did the individual owner take care of it and where do they live and how do they drive? Right. And so Mm -hmm. the outcome, you know, for a car on the road much later is, 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 is both, you know, basically. And so, you know, I think we, we try and use all of that to, to go and predict, but like a human can't do that. It's that's why we use a machine learning approach for it. Exactly. Very interesting. Yeah. I just bring that up because I am aware, you know, for example, my understanding, and I could be wrong, is that um, uh, Samsung, uh, so it's SKI, I believe, right? Um, I've never heard of any thermal runaway I- event with their, with any of their products ever in the automotive industry. Um, whereas, you know, we've seen the odd Tesla ones and, and some of the others, the Bolt recently, as I mentioned, you know, the few, the few cases out of uh, hundreds of thousands. Um, so that would lead me to believe that they've got something in their chemistry that is better than some of the others to either keep keep that event down or handle yeah. the event better. So whether that impacts charging or energy retention characteristic, I don't know. Right. Yeah. And I mean, even with the, the you know, the bolt fires and the yep. the sort of specific Tesla instance, the, the, 
those are so vanishingly rare events yes. that they're not statistically predictable. It's not like, oh, this, <laughs> you know, it, it, like, you know, this, this car is more likely to blow up than that yeah. other one. Like, yeah. they're not going to blow up, you know, yes. like it's, it's incredibly unlikely. Right. And, um, you know, and, and, you know, the, the, the bolt fire issue was, it's not a like battery chemistry or, you know, engineering and design issue it was a manufacturing defect, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, like there have been, any number of manufacturing defects over the course of, you know, the entire automotive industry that have been recalled, you know? So like, in fact, it's like not even close to the top 10 or 20 recalls in of all time, you know? So um, it's just, it's new technology. And so I Mm -hmm. think it it gets the headlines more. Um, It does. We mentioned earlier, you know, it gets clickbait and it gets clicks and and eyeballs on it. And the people, it's, it's, it's pretty, you know, it's spectacular to watch like a Tesla blow up into flames, yeah, right? Like for sure. in a way that like a defective airbag in a Toyota, like 20 years ago, like mm-hmm. it, you know, it's not, it's not as spectacular, you know, more That's deadly, true. frankly, but not as spectacular. That's true. I mean, I've had some criticism in, in my, you know, defense of GM and, and the Bolt products. And I've had yeah. some, some people really go after me on that. Yeah. And you, I think you framed it perfectly. It's all into perspective, right. Of what, uh, you know, what, what is going on uh, relative to the industry. I mean, you know, we won't yeah. get into how many recalls there have been in the, in the regular automotive side yeah. for sure. Now, do you, um, so, so you've got all this data that's very pertinent. Um, uh, and as an owner, I get to track and I get to kind of see how my vehicle's performing over time. And if something I'm doing is impacting it more or less, that kind of thing. Um, I can get a good sense if I'm looking to resell it or something. I, you know, this is something I can print out as a report, or I can get something. I take it well, again. I use that Carfax example because something I can think yeah. of if I'm going to sell it, and I take it that that you monetize this so that it's free for so the average consumer like myself. But for dealers and businesses that want to use this as part of their sales tools, I take it that's where you're monetizing it and making some income because you got to make it's a business. For right. You gotta, it you is a business. Make, yeah. You yeah. got to make yeah. some money at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So it, it's, it's basically monetized through dealers mm-hmm. um, and um, both the, the, you know, they pay a subscription for yep. um, to be able to offer uh, reports yep. on the cars they're selling, yeah. but then also, and this is like where, where it comes around back to the, to kind of a part of the value prop we have haven't talked about as much for the EV owner. You know, I understand you're going to drive your Tesla, you know, till, till, till it gives it up. Yep. Um, but on average people, um, the average sort of uh, time that a uh, car shows up for the first time in the used market is about four years after it yep. was sold new, right? So lease type of environment. Totally. Yeah. Typical years. lease. But uh-huh. then also like this technology is changing really fast. So as mm-hmm. much as you are excited about your Tesla now, three years from now, there might be something with twice the range and like, you know, True. even cooler, right? You mm-hmm. know, and so, so I think that there are, you know, a lot of the early adopters there, you know, they're sitting there going, well, I'll get this one for now, but three years from now or four years or five years from now, mm-hmm. like I want to see what the new goodies are, right? And so, uh, so the value for, um, for uh, EV owners to sign up for our, you know, um, monthly report thing is is not just in the like yeah it gives you some tips and some data that's interesting for you on the way but it also gives you the ability to when you get to the moment where you're going to sell mm-hmm. like now this is your choice i should be really clear our our data privacy sort of um is is really clear on this you can uh, choose to share that information that we've been collecting all along as a mm-hmm. third party disinterested third party choose to share that and uh, what i believe is when we get to that point 3 years from now 
that you're going to be able to sell your car more because you have a recurrent report for, for it. Interesting. Um, mm -hmm. I can tell you right now, you know, if you were considering selling your car and you've been tracking it with recurrent data, uh, the dealers we're working with will pay a premium for your car because mm -hmm. they have certainty and then they can turn around and, and, um, confidently say to, you know, to their next buyer, Hey, look, like this person took care of their car and here's the data, you know, like mm -hmm. here's the battery data. And, um, and so mm -hmm. I think that, 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 that is ultimately, I think how we'll, how we'll monetize as well. We're never going to charge users for this, you know, car owners for this. Um, it's always monetized through dealers, but, um, but it, I think that, that it, it enables the, you know, the, the current EV owner that's thinking maybe like two, three, four years down the road, I'm going to sell mm -hmm. and buy my next EV. That's even cooler that we're going to help them get a premium for their car. No, that's a great observation. You're absolutely right because EVs are, you know, in a lot of cases more software than hardware in yeah. these. So the technology is changing quite rapidly, and it is, I guess, an easier um, machine to to flip from that perspective um, because of of the the acceleration in that technology space. Um, so I, I'm hopeful that you will expand this out to other regions beyond the U.S. Because uh, I'd certainly be interested in signing up, and I'm sure other Canadians and other you know EV owners around the world to get a more global view is great uh, for, to keep it local. Would you would you say that um, you know your data on top of you know because I I would think right now if I wanted to sell my Tesla I would go to Tesla get them to give me a battery report or something like that and I would use that as you know as, as a tool as a mechanism for uh, you know pay 200 bucks or whatever to get a test done. Um, but you guys are supplying such deeper analytical data that's founded, I guess, more in the reality of what's actually occurred in that vehicle, correct? I think that the reality, well, so Tesla in particular has yep. you know, like a ton of data on their own cars, right? True. So like yep. we don't have the depth of data that that Tesla sort of captures on everybody's car. I mean, they know everything about exactly where you've driven and everything like that, right? Yes. Um, so we don't have that much. Uh, what I think is really important about what we're doing um, is there is a rich tradition of third-party valuation services in the auto industry. Mm -hmm. And we, I think, fit right into that. Like, mm -hmm. we don't have a, a horse in the race, if you will, on like how much that car gets sold for, uh, like Tesla does, frankly. You know, like, that. you know, and, and whether or not any individual automaker is, you know, decides to like, make things look good or, mm -hmm. you know, or, or not. I mean, there is a, there's a, there's a conflict of interest there that I think like anyone would be able to see sure. uh, for the, you know, for the automakers doing it themselves. And then the second piece is like um, Tesla has a ton of data on their own cars. They have no data on anybody else's cars. And so if what you're trying to do as a buyer or a seller is think about which car is going to hold up for me in the best way possible. And if it's going to fit in my particular climate and my particular driving style, like we can help you with that either as a, you know, as a potential buyer or a potential, um, you know, when you're ready to sell, like, Hey, th this car's held up, you know, better than 99% of others, you know, mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, so that's, that's, I think why there's a place for us and for, you know, other third-party valuation tools in the industry. Oh, absolutely is. I mean, because this is such a, a still a young industry, we need something like that as well. I mean, we, I mentioned, you know, some of the others that are out there in, in the ice uh, field. Um, do you, are you looking to actually connect or do you have connections as well with, you know, the KBBs and the Canadian Black Books and those kind of guys of the world as well as this industry grows? 
Yeah, I mean, we're uh, it's it's a new, like you said, it's a new market. Mm-hmm. We're a new company, and so I think like all of the 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 large players in the auto industry that mm-hmm. have been, you know, are are frankly ninety nine percent focused on combustion engine cars because that's mm-hmm. where the market is right now. Yeah are, you know, they're starting to think about, okay, well, what's our EV strategy going to be? You know, mm-hmm. what data do we need to collect? You know, what sort of partnerships do we need to have? And, you know, I think that there's an opportunity there for us just because we, you know, have been a first mover for a while now mm-hmm. and, and you know, have points on the board. And we've sort of understood how important it is to sort of get all the data to basically normalize and be able to make sense of any new data point that comes right. in, any new car that comes in. It's, it's, it's really impossible to do unless you have this like war chest of data to begin with. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's why I think that the opportunity is there for, for us to sort of like figure out how to work with the, with the incumbent players. Um, and, you know, certainly mm-hmm. the willingness is there, you know, I, I want to like go back to what our mission, you know, is as a company is like, mm-hmm. We want more EVs on the road. I, you know, as everybody working in our company is here doing it because we believe in the climate benefits, we believe in the cost savings, the like health benefits, like mm-hmm. all the things that I think you're yeah. on board with. Um, we're not out there to like bust anybody or you know anything yeah. like that. We we yeah. feel like by our presence, by by being around and and being present in the market we add confidence uh and transparency to the secondary market mm-hmm. and the more that means a more liquid used car market which means better residual values on new cars which means manufacturers will make more of them and that mm-hmm. it just accelerates the transition so is there is there any numbers for this decade on the growth of that uh, used ev market well, I Have mean, you heard any projections at all? Yeah, well, so uh turns out hard numbers to come by because yeah. like there are so there are so few people tracking this that specific thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Roughly speaking though, um, you know, and these are US numbers, so yep. sorry for being a little bit US centric, oh, but okay. mm-hmm. you know, uh every year uh 17 million new car sales, about 40 million used car sales across mm-hmm. the entire sort of sec- sector. Mm-hmm. Um for used, uh, for, sorry, for new electrics sales in the latest projections are in five years, one in five new cars in the U.S. will be electric. That's mm-hmm. compared to one in three in the EU. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then not much of it of a lag after that. It's one in five used. It will mm-hmm. be electric as well. So, um, and I, it's like, we'll call it like 2027, 2028. Um, but since used is more than twice the size of new, like the 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 raw numbers in terms of like, uh, how many used electric cars are for sale or will be sold in, you know, it's 2026 is about where they even out. So okay. um, where there's as many used mm-hmm. electrics as there are new electrics, as fast as that used as that yeah. new electric space yeah. is growing. And that's the only okay. growth in the entire auto industry for the last five years and the next five years of battery electric cars. Yeah, no, I certainly The rest agree. of the industry has been flat. Yeah, I certainly agree. And because we're not at, you know, I think another driver there is because we're not going to hit cost parity anytime soon either. It's still going to stretch out for another few years. I mean, I've heard 2025, 2026 as potentially some, some you know, uh, uh, transition dates where we actually hit cost parity. But, you know, because EVs cost more upfront and costs are certainly um, top of mind to consumers as one of the barriers to EV adoption, um, that secondary market and having that substantiated information to back that vehicle up at a reduced price. Now they they don't. I, I'm not seeing them depreciate as much as internal combustion. But again, that's going to be different by your region and by all kinds of different metrics. But yeah. you know, especially like Tesla as an example, used Teslas are crazy. I don't know about the U.S., but here you can't 
like they don't, they don't even put them on their website anymore because it goes 24 hours. Things are flying off the shelves and people are paying premiums for them. So, yeah. You know, used cars in general are <laughs> out, are uh, crazy this year. Right. Um, because of the, I mean, there, there's a, there's just a trickle down effect from supply chain shortages yep. on the new car side. Like, Absolutely. you know, if, if somebody walks in, they're like, I need a car. <laughs> like mm-hmm. there's not a new one available. I'll pay the used <laughs> one. So that means that pushes the, the used price up as well. Supply and demand. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that that, that does change over time, you know, mm-hmm. like we'll, we'll get back to some semblance of supply and demand. Like, you know, exactly. <laughs> there's only a certain, unlike real estate where I do think there's quite a bit of speculation going on, like in a lot of markets, like, yeah. I don't think there's that same thing happening in the auto industry no. where people are speculating and literally buying extra cars because they think the price will continue to go up. So at some point, like the people that were going to buy their car, like bought their car, you know? And yeah, so I exactly. think we'll sort of recover to it, to a, a better equilibrium. Well, but that, we, but I was just going to say, yeah. we have been seeing that the, although in, in the U S market on the used side, the um, used car prices in general have been going up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last two months actually was the first time that that uh, used like used car prices in general on combustion engine side have flattened, but used electric cars have continued to climb mm-hmm. beyond that. And I think that that is not just it's not just a supply and demand thing. I think that's representative of a real market preference shift. People are moving this way, and I don't think they're going to come back. Well, that's great. That's a great observation and a great point to make because it just helps again substantiate that, you know, we are seeing this hockey stick growth, you know, maybe not as fast as some of the the guys like Tony Sebas of the world want it to happen. But, you know, it is happening. This is a decades long event. Like this isn't, we're not going to have 50% of EV of autos in the U.S. uh, by the end, by the end of this decade, I'd be highly surprised if that happens, but a good number you know, maybe who knows, it depends on production as well. And it depends on a lot of other factors, but well, it is something that takes some time to implement, right? It, it, it does, but here's what I, my bet I'm yeah. like bold prediction is sure. going to happen faster than even the most aggressive models are saying. Really? Okay. And here's why. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know, did they air the, the, um, the, um, the Will Ferrell, uh, Super Bowl commercial. Did you see that commercial yep. where he's mm-hmm. like, like punches Norway and the globe, yeah. right. You know, yeah funny commercial. So that was, uh, that was February mm-hmm. of, um, 2021. And what I think is so interesting is what happened in Norway after that. So mm-hmm. the, the stat that they, that he cited that Will Ferrell cited yep. was 54% of new, new sales in Norway in 2020 were EVs. Um, that has accelerated dramatically since yes, then to the point where the, what I had, what I read was that the last EV, the, sorry, the last combustion engine vehicle will be sold in Norway in April of 2022. Yes, I read that too. They're like way ahead of schedule. Months away from That's that true. point, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what I think happened there is that clearly they hit a tipping point. And, you know, in all of the studies that say like, what's the, how they're forecasting adoption rates, mm-hmm. they're not factoring in one key factor that I think happened in Norway. Everyone basically got to the point where they saw this, like this, this inflection point happening and Mm -hmm. uh, the fear, like people are driven by fear, right? And so initially what's been holding back EVs is the fear of new technology. Mm -hmm. What happened in Norway, I believe, is the fear of being the last person to buy a combustion engine car when there will be no resale market for it in three years when you're ready to, to get your next car, I think caused people to 
joke when they went to buy a new car and they were like, uh, I don't think I'm going to get that one because I don't think anybody will want it from me. And so uh, the fear of the newness got uh, replaced by the fear of being left behind. And Mm. I think that that is going to be a, a really strong factor that actually will cause, I believe, the adoption to happen a lot faster than even the most aggressive um, market sort of projections. So if I put you on the spot, Scott, and said, you know, by 2030, what do you what do you think the market share of EVs versus ICE fees will be in the US? So I'm going to say it in terms of new cars, yeah. right? Because there's like, there are a ton of cars that are, you know, 275 yeah, million cars the, the on the road. The whole fleet is right? huge, yes. The whole fleet is huge, right? Yeah. But um, w- uh, w- someone asked me, uh, like, do I think that there needs to be like, what's the, what's the um, likelihood of a, of an ice car ban by 2030 and, you know, any, anywhere. And I was like, you know, politically, I don't think that the U S government can do anything, you know, like let alone that. But I, I said in that case, I don't think that there will need to be an ice car ban in 2030. I think that the market will have largely shifted entirely by then there will still be some like, Mm -hmm. you know, um, some like a, a long tail of, you know, of, um, of gasoline powered vehicles for certain, you know, operating conditions in certain areas. Like there are some very, you know, isolated parts of the country where distances are very far and, and, uh, and, and temperatures are extreme. So you may, you may have sort of a, a longer term tail sure. for that, but I would say like, you know, you like put me on the spot, like 80% by wow. 2030 okay. for new car sales. I'd love to see it. I really hope that your optimistic numbers uh, pan out. And I understand the logic that you presented there. It certainly makes sense. We'll have to see. It's my only thing holding me back on a little bit. I'm an optimist by heart, but a little bit of, uh, you know, the glass is uh, half empty look here is that I'm still running into a lot of people that just are so stubborn to even open up their minds to this marketplace. Um, Because again, something's been around for a hundred plus years. It's comfortable. There's no fear, right, in staying with with what I know. The governments, yeah, in the U.S. especially, you know, we we won't see uh, anything like a banning ice sales anytime soon uh, on a on a large scale. So I know it's it, it's really gonna it's gonna it's gonna be that shift in mentality that has to happen, yeah. and and it'll it's happening regionally, you know, like in the Pacific Northwest more than in California more than yeah. I think it's right. It, it's sure. it's gonna go market by market. You yep. know, we'll we'll mm-hmm. be that those tipping points, and as opposed to one entire country yeah. sort of tipping over, but. And what, um, what may yeah. help that is, again, I, I say on my presentation that I do to public outreach is that I think the F-150 announcement was another tipping point in the industry because it opened the door for that marketplace, which is near and dear to, you know, the, the heart and soul of, of a lot of economies of the world, especially yeah. in North America. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, wow, that's the number you know? one selling vehicle in something <laughs> like 40 of the 50 states, you know? Exactly. So, yeah, that, yeah. That, that probably was the biggest deal of the entire year. I know, think from so. A, from an EV perspective. I made a big deal out of it and I got some criticism saying the Cybertruck is bigger, but I totally disagree with it. I think the F-150 is a monumental tipping point and, and uh, hopefully I'll be, it uh, doesn't matter if I'm right or wrong. I just hope, I hope it actually happens. I've got yeah. one last question before, because I know we're running on, on time here for you. And some of my listeners are probably asking, well, you got, you got some data now. You've collected a bunch of data on a lot of different vehicles. Can you tell us what you've seen as kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly so far from, uh, you know, without maybe pointing fingers directly at a manufacturer, but what have you seen so far? You've got to have something there. Um, what I would say is I would go back to, um, 
on average vehicle, like EV batteries are holding up better than people, people's sort of perceptions that they will. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's not an iPhone, you know, mm-hmm. um, even though people sort of have this mental model. Yeah. Um, I think that, um, there was lots of publicity around some of the early leaf batteries. We yes. still see plenty of them, frankly, around and doing fine, mm-hmm. uh, especially in temperate cl- climates, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, nice, uh, early leaf battery in Phoenix, Arizona, like not a great place for it, you know, yes. but, um, but if it's taken care of well and, um, and uh, in a temperate climate, like they can go for a long time, you know, there are definitely still some that are on the road and, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, with similar range to what they originally had. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, like other, you know, good points. I'm just like, you know, this isn't, this isn't sort of exactly your question, but I, mm-hmm. I just, I'm just so excited for uh, all of the innovation that's happening from so many different manufacturers and battery makers, um, you know, over the last couple of years and in, in the coming few years, like that, I just think it's like this mark is just getting, <laughs> just getting so, it's just getting so interesting and innovative. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, there's more innovation ahead of us in EVs mm-hmm. than there than we have seen already. Um, you know, combustion engine car had a great hundred year run, but it's just not as good of a product anymore, you know? And I think everybody will sort of see that over the next sort of five years. Definitely think so, especially in, in, you know, the countries that are pushing hard for it and that have the infrastructure and have the capability to expand the infrastructure in a, yeah. in a, in a fast manner. Absolutely. Scott Chase, co-founder and CEO of Recurrent Automotive. How can folks find you guys? Oh, recurrentauto.com. Okay. That's quite Best easy. Best way of finding us, yes. Get all the information and then just keep checking back when you guys are going to make your application available. I take it it's uh is it's an Apple, it's an iOS and Android type of app that you would load. Into it's not an app. We just up. it's just a it's just a web mobile web. You know, experience. Oh, okay. So experience. yeah, you don't have okay. to install anything or anything like that. So okay. yeah, I will, I, I'll let you know as soon as we are, uh, we enter the Canadian market. We have a lot of people waiting for us. There, That'd be great. So, do you, do you yeah. anticipate going beyond North America at some point in, in your, um, yeah. I mean, if, yeah. if I had been Norwegian, you know, instead of <laughs> from Seattle, I should have started yeah. the company there. But, um, yeah. the nice thing is the vehicles are the, you know, for the most part the vehicles are the same the batteries uh manufacturing is the same and um you know there are uh, the great thing about the u.s is there are there are climates like that match we can find a sister city for pretty much anywhere you know from a climate perspective and so um so we're collecting data that will allow us to enter a lot of different markets like without having to sort of start from scratch excellent Well, again, thank you very much, Scott, for your time. It's been thoroughly uh, engaging. I really learned a lot and I hope to chat with you. Maybe, you know, we'll we'll cycle back next year sometime and just see how things are progressing in that industry, especially with all the talk of solid state and all this other, as you mentioned, the technology is advancing. Uh, That's good. Yeah, thank you very much for taking the time and chatting with you and uh, all the best for the holiday season coming up as well. You too. Thank you. Thanks again for listening, folks. You can email me if you have comments email at evrevolutionshow at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at evrevshow. I'm also on Instagram, evrevolutionshow. And if you uh, have any suggestions for shows, please let me know. Thanks again for listening, and please, everybody stay safe. And until the next time, I'll see you when I see you.